0: it's been uh, quite a year, uh, obviously. Everybody knows what's been going on, and that, uh, of course, made me have to reprioritize a few things and uh, do my service planning kind of in uh, bits and pieces, in in snippets, when I could get the chance to. But I'm hoping to to resume now and have a relatively normal year going forward, so we'll see how that goes. But here we are planning the, the new church year uh, beginning with the first Sunday of Advent of this year, which falls on November 29th. Uh, now, if you remember from uh, the previous season, uh, Advent be- where Advent begins depends on the proximity of Sundays to Saint Andrew's Day. Uh, the Sunday closest to Saint Andrew's Day is the first Sunday in Advent. And this year, uh, Saint Andrew's Day, November 30th, falls on a Monday. So the Sunday before that. Uh, is the, the first Sunday uh, of Advent, and so that's November 29th. Now, I've already done uh, the work on this one in planning this service. Uh, in future episodes, I will be planning kind of live along with uh, the recording uh, here, but uh, I'll, I'll kind of go through the process of how I, I planned this, this service. Last year, you may remember, uh, I was preaching on Old Testament lessons, going through uh, chronologically, more or less, uh the the old testament uh and so with all of that leading into this new church year uh I thought I would preach on the uh historic old testament lesson that's appointed for the church year uh for for the the first Sunday uh of advent um because it leads into the new year having gone through that background of the old testament this old testament lesson uh really prepares for uh the 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 coming of Christ which is again that theme of advent uh Christ is coming Christ is on his way the the season of advent will emphasize multiple different themes of the coming of Christ and how it is that he comes to us uh his his coming on christmas 2000 years ago his coming now in word and sacrament and his coming on the last day, his second coming, when he will uh, take us home with him. And so with all of that in mind, we anticipate that as Christians. We're looking forward to the coming of Christ, and it is such a blessing to be able to anticipate that and look forward to it. Uh, So the Old Testament lesson for the first Sunday in Advent from the historic lectionary is Jeremiah 33, verses 14 through 18. Listen, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promises that I have spoken to the house of Israel and concerning the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to grow up from David's line. He will establish justice and righteousness on earth. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. This is what she will be called, the Lord our Righteousness. This is what the Lord says, David will never fail to have a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, neither will the priests or Levites fail to have a man to stand before me, to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to offer sacrifices continually. I'm not going to go too much in detail on this lesson, but you can see how it really does anticipate the fulfillment of the promises of God. The whole Old Testament is really all those promises of the Messiah who would win salvation for us and give it to us. Jesus said that uh, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but they testify about me. He's talking about the whole Old Testament, everything. The law, the prophets, and the writings, all of it is about Jesus. They're all the promises of the Messiah. And so these good promises are in the uh, original Hebrew. It's the the good words uh, that God has spoken. He's going to bring to pass. Uh, what he spoke, the, the 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 words that he spoke are going to occur uh, for us, and so we're we're transitioning is is how I'm kind of thinking about this with this Advent uh, beginning to the new church here, transitioning from looking at that whole Old Testament into looking at the the fulfillment uh, of it. That now that's not to say I'm going to preach on the gospel for the rest of the the coming year. I and I may I haven't figured out a perfect theme necessarily but uh usually when i when i'm not going through a specific lectionary like that old testament lectionary i did last year uh i like to preach on the text that i have the most questions about that uh that i feel is most challenging because if it's challenging to me i i'm certain that it's challenging to many people in the pew as well and so that's how i tend to pick it um so but we'll we'll talk more about that in future sundays but that's the old testament lesson coming up here uh, going on to the epistle lesson, it continues some of these same things, the uh, themes. The epistle lesson is Romans thirteen, eleven through 14. And do this since you understand the present time. It is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost over and the day is drawing near. So let us put away the deeds of darkness and put on the weapons of light. Let us walk decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual sin and wild living, not in strife and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not give any thought to satisfying the desires of your sinful flesh. All right, so uh, this, this touches on a theme that uh, I, I think we, we tend to lose sight of, and it's, it's become so easy for us in, in the world of, of COVID now. To lose sight of this idea, and it's something that um, is mentioned in the very first of Luther's ninety-five theses, that famous document that he posted on the the castle church door in Wittenberg. Uh, in in that first thesis, he makes the statement that when Jesus tells us to repent, he means that the whole life of the Christian is to be one of repentance, uh, and that's that, that's something that's key to remember: our whole lives are not just occupied by continual repentance, but our lives are lives of repentance. Uh, and what that means is, uh, think of repentance in terms of reformation. Uh, they, think of them as meaning more or less the same thing. Uh, we, As Lutherans, we talk about the reformation of the church, that uh, Luther and the reformers fixed the church you know luther famously was not trying to establish his new uh, a new denomination he was trying to fix what was wrong in the catholic church of the day and to reform it that's what that means uh to to toss out what's wrong with it and and restore what's right um it's a practice that uh the the jewish people were supposed to do Really every week, and and you'll find Orthodox Jews even today doing that as well, cleaning their house out of uh, yeast. Uh, well, I guess that's that's mostly done uh, around the time of, of Passover in preparation for that. But the 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 idea still stands that you clean out your house, uh, you get rid of all uncleanness, uh, and you make it ready in, in a certain way. If you if you read, for example, how. Um, it, it, as another example, how Solomon built the temple and the care that was taken for it. Uh, they didn't even uh, allow tools inside the the temple building as they were they were constructing it. Uh, it says in First Kings that the sound of a hammer was not heard inside because they were crafting the stones far away and then bringing them in and putting them in place. So the these tools were were kept quiet. The place was kept reverent because this was a place where God was dwelling. Now, this is something key to understand that in Christian lives, we are God's temple. Uh, think of those three comings of Jesus. Now, it, it's, it's rather uh, common and, and helpful to, to think of the three Sundays uh, in Advent before the fourth Sunday uh, in terms of the, those three comings of Jesus. One is the coming on Christmas. One is the coming, the second coming. One is the coming in the means of grace. Uh, but think of them all at the same time. They're interconnected themes here. Jesus came to earth. Uh, When it comes to Christmas time, we'll see John 1 where it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us or tabernacled among us. He pitched his tent among us. He became present among us. That's what the purpose of the temple and the tabernacle in the Old Testament was too, for God to be present in a way that was accessible to us. And that's also where we get the means of grace. That's where Jesus is with us, where he is accessible to us he enfleshes himself in the pages of scripture uh, and in his body and blood in the sacrament of the altar and he is present there as well his blood washes us clean in the lord's in uh, the the sacrament of baptism and and there we are united to his body which died and rose again so uh, all of these comings of jesus are interconnected here and so with that, we keep in mind this repentance, that we're, we're cleaning house, uh, preparation, preparation for this, this great guest, and not only a guest, but our Savior who comes to us. That's, that's what the whole season of Advent is about. And this ongoing repentance or, or reformation, personal reformation, is, is to keep happening. Paul gives this, this advice here, walk properly as in the day, uh, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, all of this is is the idea that he wants us to live Christian lives um, in COVID time. It's a little bit difficult, and I'm not going to shame anybody who doesn't come to church in person. Uh, safety is is important. I mean, not everybody. I, I'm, I I wouldn't shame anybody who didn't come for fear of of health or or concerns along those lines any more than I than I would shame one of our shut in members for not coming. They they can't, uh, and so that's where the church needs to minister to them in person because this personal connection is necessary. Jesus is a personal God. The triune God is a personal God, and it's proven in Jesus how he took on this flesh. For us, to dwell among us, uh, to, to be close to us so that he could speak to us, and that's what he wants his pastors and his church to do as well. We talk about uh, where this, this forgiveness and salvation comes to us, and we talk about the means of grace that way, uh, but in and around that, we can't forget the mutual consolation of the brethren. That's a, a, a term, a phrase that's been used by Lutherans for centuries. Uh, and that idea of the mutual consolation of the brethren is the church members upholding one another. Uh, It it comes in terms of gathering together, you know, where you receive that forgiveness uh, from the words of the pastor who has been appointed by the congregation to give that forgiveness on their behalf, uh, and, and the sacraments as well, but it also comes in Christian conversation where we build one another up. We bear one another's burdens. We comfort one another with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted. That's the purpose of the the Christian church, to strengthen one another and to to keep one another in this ongoing repentance and reformation until that coming of Jesus. Because again, the day is drawing near. The night is almost over, is, is what Paul says. So wake up. Um, when, when it comes to this Sunday, we will just have said that King of Lutheran corrals, wake awake for night is flying. Uh, and that ties right again in here. It's this seamless transition that night is flying. Remember, because this is how Jesus came. It, it, it's ongoing. Uh, it's not a a cutoff end at the end of the church here into the beginning of the, the new church here. It flows from one into the next. All right, that's a lot on the epistle lesson there. I kind of went off a little bit there. I want to get to the, the gospel lesson before we start talking about the rest of the service planning here. And the gospel is from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 9. And I've talked about this before, that this is one of the few lessons that gets repeated during the year. Uh, and this one, plus two extra verses... Uh, gets repeated on Palm Sunday. So it'll sound very familiar uh, with uh, that Palm Sunday account. So Matthew 21, 1 through 9. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, telling them, Go to the village ahead of you. Immediately you will find a donkey tied there along with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you are to say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king comes to you, humble and riding on a donkey and a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their outer clothing on them, and he sat on it. A very large crowd spread their outer clothing on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them out on the road. The crowds who went in front of him and those who followed kept shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. It's been remarked, especially in Palm Sunday uh, sermons on this account, that uh, these same people who sang this Hosanna are the ones who shouted crucify less than a week later. Uh, and so we we can read that hymn of praise that they sing almost ironically, uh, that uh they didn't. They weren't sincere about it necessarily. Is is what we might think. And so that's where we we come in and, and we fix it in, in a way. Uh, we sing this Hosanna at communion time. Um, now I'll talk about this in a minute. But this uh, this Sunday, November twenty ninth, is not a Sunday that we will be celebrating Holy Communion at our Savior's. Uh, but that song of Hosanna to the Son of David, Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, that that is sung at the time of. The Sanctus, it, it's tied right in with the Sanctus, uh, and it's a recognition that here is God coming to us. Once again, see that connection, uh, the means of grace, Jesus coming in the flesh, and Jesus' second coming. We we praise him as he comes, uh, and that Hosanna means save now or save please. It's a, a Hebrew word, uh, Hosanna. Uh, it's It's a cry calling for salvation. It's a prayer that God would save. Um, save now, we sing this Hosanna, this save now to the son of David, because he is the son of God, he is the Savior, he is the Messiah. And he comes in the name of the Lord. He comes according to those promises that God made. That that good word that he spoke is coming to pass, uh, and that's the name of God that he comes in, in order to accomplish that salvation. Uh, and that coming on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey, that's, that's a, this interesting combination of... Um, humility and exaltation. It's humility because he comes, this king of heaven and earth is sitting on a donkey. And it says that in that uh, that quotation from Zechariah, that um, he comes lowly, humble, riding on a donkey. He's humbled himself. Uh, Philippians 2 says, uh, although he was by uh, In the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. He took on human flesh, is, is the point there, to humble himself and come to us. And he did that, of course, to win our salvation, because in that flesh, he was he put himself to death. He kept the law, first of all, that was one reason he had come in the flesh. And then he was able to die in the flesh. That was another reason he came in the flesh. And then the third reason is he rose from the dead in that flesh. So our flesh also will rise being connected to his. So with all that in in mind here, think also of this connection to exaltation. Because when Solomon was appointed king by David, there was a little bit of a, a contest over the throne as David was dying. But he made it very clear, no, Solomon is the one who will succeed me he had him ride on his own donkey. And that was the symbol that Solomon rode on the donkey of David. And so these people singing the son of David, Hosanna to the son of David. Jesus is the fulfillment of Solomon. Uh, Solomon who, who had wisdom. Solomon who is the son of David. Solomon who built the temple so that God would be permanently among his people. Think of that connection in terms of who Jesus is. He is the, the fulfillment uh, of that. Uh, so all of that is connected here in this this gospel lesson, and also this because it is uh, this Palm Sunday account and tied so closely to Holy Week, it reminds us right at the outset when Jesus is coming, why he came it 's connected with that death that obedience and that death and that resurrection it 's all tied in here, so as we 're anticipating Christmas we 're looking even beyond and anticipating Holy Week and Easter, really. The, these two high festivals are going to be intimately connected. All right, so that's the, the lessons here. Uh, as I mentioned, this uh, November 29th, uh, it's the fifth Sunday uh, in the month, and uh, the practice at our saviors uh, is on those Sundays to uh, observe in the Evangelical Lutheran Hymnary uh, the abridged form of divine service rite one. Uh, abridged meaning that uh after the prayer of the church it uh skips to the um the close of the service rather than going to the the service of holy communion it goes straight to um uh giving thanks and um uh the, the collect uh and the benediction so it's it's abbreviated uh or or abridged um which means again we won't have holy communion that that Sunday so that affects some of the service planning here um, I'll go through just, uh, from beginning to end, how, how this service is going to be constructed in terms of the, the hymns and Psalms and things, uh, and what's different, uh, about this in the, the season of, of Advent. So after the opening prayer, the first hymn that we're going to sing, and I'm going to spend a little time talking about this one, uh, is hymn 90. We're, we're going to sing, it's got seven verses in the, in the hymnery. So we're going to split that over, over two bits in the service. Uh, it's, we're going to sing the first four verses, here at the opening as the entrance hymn, and then we're going to sing the last three verses, verses five through seven, as the chief hymn when that segment comes. I do want to, as I said, talk about this hymn a little bit. Hymn 90 is uh, the first line, Savior of the nations come. Uh, it's attributed to Ambrose of Milan, and it's pretty well attested that way, uh, that Ambrose wrote this. Ambrose being uh, one of the, the men um, in the 300s, Uh, He was kind of the sponsor and friend uh, of uh, Athanasius, um, or not Athanasius, I'm sorry, Augustine, um, who was a a powerful um, confessor of the faith, and uh, Ambrose himself was as well. Ambrose was a great hymn writer, uh, wrote many, many wonderful pieces. But, uh, of course, he wrote in Latin, uh, and so the first line of this in Latin is... um, I'm going to pronounce it in, in classic Latin, but, uh, Wini redemptor Gentium, um, so come redemptor savior Gentium of the nations, the Gentiles. Um, so w- it's, it's a prayer for him to, to come. And, and you can think of that in terms, it's very similar to that Hosanna. Save now. Uh, we're, we're calling for that savior to come. Now I, I mentioned that this has seven verses here. This comes from the German version that was, uh, uh, translated and written by martin luther it is very very close to the the latin original but one thing that's different uh is the original third verse is missing in in our uh our hymnary. um so there were originally eight verses now that third verse um i'm going to read you a translation of this it's it comes in a different meter um it's translated by j.m neal um but this uh this third verse. So, so savior of the nations come, uh, savior of the nations come. Okay. And it's, it's calling for, um, the virgin son to come and, and live with us. And then we marvel at the birth, uh, marvel now, O heaven and earth that the Lord chose such a birth, looking at that, uh, humility once again. Um, it, it, emphasizes that, uh, the, the son of God came by, God's power he was um, begotten of the father think about this time with Ambrose and Augustine that they were fighting with the Arian heresy which taught that uh, Jesus the son of God was the first creature of God not equal to God but uh, subject to him Um, and that's something where it, it, it hits on some of those themes in this hymn as well. Uh, from the father forth, he came and returneth to the same captive, leading death and hell high, the song of triumph swell. He comes from God. He, he goes back to God and it says thou, the father's only son hast or sin, the victory won. boundless shall the kingdom be. When shall we its glories see? So we get this idea of this, um, uh, only begotten of the Father, begotten from eternity. Think of the Nicene Creed in those terms. The Nicene Creed was written partially against the Arian heresy. But okay, now the, the original third verse here. Uh, you'll you'll see partly why this was not put into our versions. Um, I'm not going to go into the Latin either, but in the Latin it's even a little more, um, I guess, uh, objectionable. Not, not objectionable, but it, it could be offensive in some ways. You'll see what I mean. Uh, so the original verse 3 in English translation by J.M. Neal, The virgin womb that burden gained, with virgin honor all unstained. The banners there of virtue glow, God in his temple dwells below. Alright, so it's emphasizing the virgin birth here, uh, and really the virgin conception. Um it gets a little more anatomical in the the original Latin form here, but that uh, idea here, and it and it hints almost at this idea that uh, is is a Catholic teaching, and some Lutherans also subscribe to this as well. And I'm not going to condemn them for that, but uh, uh, some Lutherans are also um, very wary of that idea that Mary remained a virgin. It's called the perpetual virginity that that she was permanently a virgin. Um, it it doesn't directly say that, but you could draw that sort of idea out. But the point is that um, Jesus was conceived in Mary's womb, apart from the natural order of things, that Mary was a virgin. She remained a virgin that way. Uh, so the virgin womb that burdened gained, that the the womb of the virgin had a child put in it with virgin honor all unstained, without losing her virginity, is what that's saying there. Um so that's, that's where you can see how this, you know, we didn't need it. Um, it's fine. But it, there, it's interesting in the last half of this verse, the banners there of virtue glow. God in his temple dwells below. Now there again, you could misinterpret that and say the, the banners of virtue are because Mary was so holy. Again, that, that uh, false Catholic idea. But uh, that's not what it's getting at, actually. It's the, the banners of... God dwelling in his temple. There were banners um, in, in the temple that Solomon built again. I'm talking about Solomon a lot here, and I don't think that's really an accident that uh, that so much of this does evoke the idea of Solomon. Um, in um, the Song of Solomon as well, it talks about the the, the Shulamite uh, sings about her love putting his banners over her. And we've got those banners here again, the banners of virtue, God in his temple. And his temple now, he... That's really cool here, that God in his temple dwells below. It's not the temple that Herod built there, that Jesus would later say is is going to be toppled. Uh, it's the temple now that he has made in Mary's womb. The womb of the Virgin has become his temple. Because the temple is where God is, right? That's, that's the definition of a temple, where God is. Uh, and so God is in his temple, always, really. And he's in the temple of mary's womb at his conception as we're anticipating his birth here and then his temple becomes that uh, that stable in the in the manger there Uh, and later on his temple becomes the cross and it becomes the tomb and the tomb becomes empty and now his temple is the hearts of his people uh, where he comes in word and sacrament and his temple there therefore is also that word and sacrament that's where he is found that's where he comes to us that's, so, I mean, I, I read that verse specifically because I wanted to make sure we touched on those themes, uh, because that all comes through here. Um, but that, that hymn, uh, Savior of the Nations Come, uh, it's, it's a great hymn. Uh, historically, it was, when Luther first wrote it, uh, really used at Christmas. It was a Christmas hymn, uh, and it makes sense. Uh, it talks about the birth of this, this child. Verse 3, wondrous birth, O wondrous child of the virgin undefiled though by all the world disowned still to be in heaven enthroned. Um, so he's this humble Christmas birth, and it's a wondrous birth, is what it's all about. But it also was used partially as an Advent hymn, and it increasingly became uh, an Advent hymn uh, through the centuries after Luther translated it uh, into German. Um, so that's that's going to be our, our first hymn. Uh, then we go on to well, the, the confession of sin, the Kyrie, and the absolution, uh, in Advent, of course, the Gloria and Excelsis Deo is silent um, because that's the hymn that the angels sang at the birth of Christ. And so we're waiting for it. Again, that that hits on this idea of, of, of uh, the Christian training themselves. Um, it, it, we, you can say it's training against instant gratification. That's part of the story that uh you know we we live in a, a culture of instant gratification and so we've got to put that off a little bit of course some of that instant gratification has been put off by uh the pandemic a little bit here but um we're training ourselves not only for that but we're training ourselves in waiting for Christ in looking for him and not just patience but looking where he is to be found we're focusing on where he is to be found this worship, this church year, it's all meditation uh when it comes to the personal, the individual Christian. We're meditating, and we're meditating together. And so we meditate on on what God is teaching us, and He's teaching us where to find salvation, where to find Him, where to find His Son. Uh, so that's that's why the the glory in Excelsis Deo is silent. And and that silence is palpable. We notice that it's not there. Uh, we go down to the salutation and then the collects. The, the collect for the first Sunday of Advent is Stir up, we beseech you, your power O Lord, and come, that by your protection we may be rescued from the threatening perils of our sins and be saved by your mighty deliverance. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one true God, now and forever. Amen. And this is one of those collects that is directed to the Son, uh, the second person of the Trinity. Most of the collects uh, calls on, uh, the father, uh, this one calls on the son, uh, asking him to stir up his power, right? Uh, and, and come again, that come idea, we're calling him to come. That's really the theme, especially of this first Sunday, uh, of Advent, that we're calling for the son of God, our savior to come and rescue us and save us, uh, delivering us, um, all right, after the college, we go into the service of the word. I already read uh, all the lessons. The psalm, though, in here, we'll be reading uh, or singing responsively. I should say, Psalm 25, uh, and you find that psalm in the hymnary on page 177, uh, and it goes like this. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths, lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation, on you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindnesses, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy remember me, for your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn yourself to me, and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look upon my affliction and my pain, and forgive all my sins." Consider my enemies, for they are many, and they that hate me with cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all their troubles. Again, it's a call for salvation, that God would come and save. There's an urgency uh, here as well, that there are enemies that are causing this difficulty. We can think in terms of, you know, we like to talk about the big three in uh, our church. uh, The devil the world, and our own sinful flesh. Those are the enemies that we primarily talk about. And it really covers all of them. The devil is the the one that we don't see, uh, who works behind the scenes, works even whispering to our own souls uh, and tempts us. So that enemy, we don't want him to triumph. And he's working constantly at it. In the world, uh, we're seeing that, that persecution. Uh, I, I've heard other pastors talk about this before, too, that uh, we used to talk about the subtle persecution that uh, we face in this country, not like in other countries. But it's it's becoming more and more overt, uh, that, that attack against our faith. And so that urgency is, is growing. And our own sinful flesh as well. It's so tempting for us to want to go with the devil, with the world, with our own desires to make ourselves like God, as Adam and Eve uh, fell into that temptation and and disobeyed. Uh, So with that urgency, this psalm is an antidote to that urgency, really, because we're turning to God and we recognize his time. We know that he will teach us even as he saves us. And we can trust in him. Uh, He gives us this forgiveness. Uh, We will have this permanent, fruitful, prosperous dwelling that will be provided to us. So it's, it's an antidote to that, that fear, that worry, that urgency against uh, the enemies that we face as we look toward our Lord's coming, and that's our eyes are looking upward. I talked about this before, too, that uh, one of the, the colors that has historically been used for Advent is blue, and think about that, we're looking up at the sky, we're, we're looking at where, where Christ went uh, when he ascended and where he will come from again, we're, we're looking up to God, our eyes are fixed there. Now, at our saviors, we use purple um, uh, or violet uh, during this season. And that's perfect uh, as well because it emphasizes that royalty. We look up on high for the king who is coming to us, as we talk about in that gospel lesson, the, the, the king, the son of David, who is riding lowly on a donkey. All right, then after the lessons, we'll confess the Apostles' Creed and then sing the chief hymn, which again will be the last three verses of hymn 90, Savior of the Nations, Come. I'll preach my sermon on the Jeremiah text. Uh, for the prayer of the church, I like to, um, we've got several options for prayer of the church. But for the season of Advent, I like to use the litany, uh, which is, um, uh, litany really just means list. And it's a long listed prayer uh, on page 137 in, in the hymnary, And it goes through, uh, it's a repentant prayer uh we ask for mercy so often in that prayer. it includes the the lord's prayer in it as well um and we we had all the the central petitions that the church is to to pray for um I've heard dogmaticians say that um the the prayer the the, the church by prayer upholds the world um that if it weren't for the church praying for the world, the world would come to an end. Uh, and you know, that's, I mean, it plays a little bit of that if game, but it's, it's absolutely true because God has told us to pray. And if we weren't here praying, he would not have any reason to keep the world running. And so we pray for the world and we pray for salvation. All right. Uh, then jumping on that, that's where, uh, we, we make the skip past the, the service of Holy Communion for this Sunday, uh, and, and go and pray. Uh, we'll, we'll have another hymn. Uh, right after the prayer. Uh, And that hymn is going to, this Sunday, be Hymn 94. Um, Hymn 94 is one that has 10 verses, a lot of verses. So we're not going to sing all of them, but we are going to split that one in two as well, like we did with Hymn 90. Um, 94 is a hymn by Paul Gerhardt. I've talked about him before. I'm not going to talk about him too much now. Uh, Maybe on a future episode, I'll I'll talk about Paul Gerhardt some more and, and what his life was like. But it's oh how shall I receive thee? Oh how shall I receive thee? How welcome thee aright? Okay, and that um as we're calling for the Savior to come, now we know He's coming. We're we're coming to the end of the service here, so this is great to sing at the end because we know He's coming. Okay, ca- how how do I get ready for that? <laughs> how do, shall I receive thee? Um, we're we're longing for Jesus to come. He He is going to give us everything we need all our salvation, and he still does. He does that through his word, as I said as as well, through his word and sacraments. Uh, And so we'll sing verses one through four of that uh, after the prayer of the church at this point, um, which ends uh, with uh, verse four, I lay in fetters groaning, thou comes to set me free. I stood, my shame bemoaning, thou comes to honor me a glory thou dost give me, a treasure safe on high that will not fail or leave me as earthly riches fly. Um, so it's, again, that antidote to our fear and our worry and our lost state that the Savior has come. Uh, for the collect, uh, we'll, we'll pray a uh, collect of the word. Um, Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that of your great mercy you have given us your holy and blessed word by which you also among us gather your Christian church. We humbly entreat you, grant us your Holy Spirit that we receive your word with thankful hearts and live according to it and ever increase in Christian faith and hope and love and at last obtain eternal salvation through Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one true God, now and forever. Amen. And we, we pray that collect of the word, um, that that's, that's normal uh, in uh, the uh, abridged right one service because without the service of Holy Communion, we're focused on the, the means of grace in the word. And so we pray for God's blessings in the word to, to come to us. Uh, then we come to the benediction and the closing hymn again is 94, but we'll, we're going to skip, uh, and sing verses eight through 10 of hymn 94. Uh, and it, it begins with, uh, speaking to the people, sins, debt, that fearful burden, let not your souls distress. Your guilt the Lord will pardon and cover with his grace. He comes, he comes procuring the peace of sin forgiven for all God's sons securing their heritage in heaven. Um, and then verse 9, this is where it, it hits on some of that uh, that urgency and that antidote to it. Why should the wicked move you? Heed not their craft and spite. Your Savior who doth love you will scatter all their might. He comes a king most glorious and all his earthly foes in vain his course victorious endeavor to oppose. The point is that the enemies aren't going to win. Jesus has already won. And uh, it concludes then with verse 10. He comes to judge the nations, a terror to his foes, a light of consolations and blessed hope to those who love the Lord's appearing. O glorious Son, now come, send forth thy beams so cheering, and guide us safely home. So it hits on that antidote once again. That, that gospel message is just hit home once again. And we conclude with that prayer Come, come and guide us safely home. And after that hymn, then we pray that closing prayer. And that's the conclusion of our Advent One uh, service. Uh, so I, I hope you um, are edified by, by this and you look forward to that Sunday. We'll we'll release more episodes. I'm hoping to do them every week. Uh, but again, with the way COVID has gone, uh, I'm trying to emphasize some some more of my pastoral work. And so this will come... More or less, when I've got time for it, uh, I, I hope no one's offended by that, that I've got other priorities. My, my call is uh, to be the shepherd of, of the people here, and so this podcast is really of service insofar as it assists in that call. And so it's another way to reach out to people. It's, you know, uh, as faceless as it may be, as uh, impersonal as it might be, uh, at least it does perhaps give some connection to what's going on in the service. Uh, And I'd encourage questions be asked as well. Uh, Get in touch with me, uh, ask questions, give me comments, uh, and let me know uh, how this is helping or or what else might help in other terms. But uh, with that, God's blessings uh, until we meet again.